0: amen how we doing church doing all right good if you got your bibles i hope you do go to matthew chapter 16 matthew chapter 16 as we continue in this series uh called Ecclesia, and uh but before we get into it uh how's the daniel fast going for you yeah, me too. All right. Um, so, if you weren't here Tuesday for elder-led prayer, let me encourage you to hop on the, uh, the the Daniel fast train that we are all on. For those of you that are fasting, uh, you're, the sermon's just going to be better for you. And You're going to be like, "Wow, he is on it today!" And it ain't me. What's going on is you're kind of cultivating the soil of your soul, and the seed that lands on good soil uh, produces a crop. And so, if you want the sermons to get better over the next few weeks, just just join in with us on the Daniel fast. Um, Hey, if you if you ever go to Israel, which about 100 people are with me uh, in next February, uh, we were going to cap it at 50, then we opened it up, and 100 people signed up by the first day at lunch. And so anyway, we're getting another bus, taking about 100 people. There might be room for like one more. So if you're that one more, come on. Uh, and, and here's what happens when you get back from Israel. Everybody asks, so what was the best? Like, what was the best part of your trip? And you always have to answer the empty tomb. That's just the answer, because if there's no empty tomb, there's no reason to go to Israel. The whole thing falls apart. And I'll tell you, when I was at the empty tomb, it was legit, okay? It's about, I don't know, 600 yards or so away from Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. That's, that's crazy. At the bottom of it is uh, is uh, like a bus stop now. That's not that awesome, but up on top of the hill is awesome. And then about 600 yards over to your left, there's the the garden tomb, where they believe that, that Jesus was Buried and resurrected and I'm standing there. I'm like seven feet away looking into the empty tomb I'll take you there put you in there and freak out. It's crazy and then pastor Ben Williams our worship pastor He comes up and pops some earbuds on me and plays this song called Anastasia which talks about laying Christ into Joseph's tomb That's what it's talking about and you know if it didn't work out so much. I would have cried. It was awesome. You understand And that's one a that's like my favorite, but my other favorite was Caesarea Philippi Because, I mean, I I don't know how much you think about church. You may have started thinking about it last night. Are we going? Are we going? Yeah, we should go. All right. So I think about it a lot. Like you pay me to think about it all the time. I've given my life to Jesus and then he told me to serve the church with my life. It's not my idea. This was his idea. So I think about it a bunch. And I don't know if you've ever gone to a place that like you've Google searched and you've seen the images and then you walk up and you're like, whoa, right? That's what it was like. We turned the corner and there it is. There's this big, there's this huge rock, Caesarea Philippi is at the bottom of this cliff. In the cliff there's this big hole, big cave. And that is the place where Jesus said on one of those rocks he was standing on with his 12 disciples. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I was overwhelmed with that place. So I told our guide, hey, listen, we got to change the plans. Uh, I'm going to be here for a minute. And by a minute, I meant three and a half hours. And I climbed up this hill on those rocks. And then there was this little rope that said, do not enter, which where I'm from means hop this because the good stuff's back there. So boop, boop I did. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. I could end up in an Israeli prison, but whatever, man. <laughs> and so I went and found a little quiet place to sit and sat on this rock. And I just prayed. And I thought about, on one of these rocks around here somewhere, I don't know which one, on one of these rocks, Jesus and his disciples stood. And the idea of church was spoken for the very first time. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia is the word he used. We call it church. And so I just said, dear God, that thing that we do in Jacksonville every weekend, if that thing is not what you were talking about here, you got to shut it down. Tell me. We will turn it into a skating rink or something, okay? But we want to be about what you were talking about. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed because here's what I know. (coughs) There's a lot of churches. If you've been to church, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people, I think, are not experiencing what Jesus was talking about on that rock. Anybody ever had a bad church experience? Want to raise your hand? All right, that one went up quick, darling, right there. You, okay. I hope today goes well. Yeah, you, All right. Baby, that owes you. Okay. So, because it's crazy, right? Because if we're leading churches that aren't about what Jesus is about, then what are we about? A friend of mine who's a pastor, he's a very famous pastor, he he put on his Facebook a couple of years ago. He just put on there, has anybody ever had a bad church experience? And he had 3,000 comments. Here are some of my favorite. A guy named Ryan says, my family was in a nationwide school and ministry group. And our church leaders believe that wearing blue jeans gave the impression of rebellion, because nothing says rebellion like blue jeans. Here was their mindset. In the 60s, hippies started wearing jeans. Now we have terrorism. Cause, effect. How do you argue with that? (laughs) At that same church, they said, men shouldn't have facial hair. Had they not seen a picture of Jesus? (laughs) I mean, right? And for what are you doing with some people like Pastor Stone, Pastor Stone is half Wookie, half Chia Pet. What's he going to do? As he's shaving in the morning, when he gets to the other side of his face, this side grows back. Have you seen that guy? Literally, we were on a mission trip one time for 14 days, and he didn't shave, and his beard hair connected with his neck hair. And I was like, bro, you have a felmet. He's like, what's a felmet? I was like, it's like a furry helmet. You're a freak. Godly, godly freak. That's what he is, okay? Love it. At that same church, this guy brought his friend, a girl, and she's coming into church, and the ushers told her, ma'am, women aren't supposed to wear pants. So she grabbed her belt loop and started, and he was like, no, 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 no. And so they said, women well, we can't wear pants. That's crazy. All right, Kara, this girl, she replied, at my private Christian school, we were not allowed to wear black polos. Any other color was okay, but if you were black, then you loved the devil. Our band would be in big trouble, right? Rachel, this is my favorite. I have two favorites in this list. This is one of them. Rachel said, I grew up in a church that wouldn't let boys and girls swim together because the girls could get pregnant. That's not how that works. (laughs) It could lead to it, but that's not how that works. My other favorite is this. A girl named Cassie says, our church leaders would not let us trick-or-treat because it was Satan's birthday. It gets better. Then one of our church leaders had a baby born on Halloween. That's just great. Can't you imagine that mom? She's like, you have got to be, no, all right? And God's going, y'all come watch this. This is gonna be awesome. <laughs> yeah, we've all had bad church experiences, right? We take what Jesus was talking about and turn it into this whole other thing. I've told Every year I tell this story over and over. I won't retell it again today, but I, I, I took a girl that I, that I met at the gym where I used to work, and she was an exotic dancer. I took her to church, and I got in trouble for taking somebody to church. She wasn't the right kind of people is what they told me. Or when I, was, uh, when I was at camp, I was at this fundamentalist Southern Baptist camp. It was awesome. I met Jesus there, but one time they sent a guy home because he had an earring. You're not welcome here. So should a guy wear an earring? If you're a pirate, absolutely, all right? And all pi- pirates are part of all people, so you shouldn't get kicked out of church for earrings. At my grandma's church, here's what I was taught, that God does not like running, and he really wants you to be quiet. So we <laughs> the Lord's house. That was what we were taught. No running and he had to be really quiet. Um, in fact, I <clears> met <throat> Jesus at camp. I started trying to go to church, you know, and I'd go to these different youth groups and they were just, just kind of kooky, the things they would do. They would sing songs and spell out the words of the songs with their body, right? I got joy, J-O, you know, I'd say it. And I was like, this, is this like a Saturday Night Live skit? Am I getting bonked? What's happening? And then one time I'm at this thing and the youth pastor, the youth guy, he shows this video called Highway to Hell. It is about the dangers of secular music. And I was thinking, yeah, it's so dangerous. And I had to ask my buddy, what's secular music mean? And so the band that they highlight in the video to point out that how the teenagers are going to be poisoned in their mind with the devil music, the band was Journey. I was like, that's like the cleanest thing I have in my CD collection. I don't know what you're talking about. So the following week, we were instructed to bring our albums or tapes it's hard to explain, okay? And we had these things called take, <laughs> or CDs, or albums, or whatever. We were to bring them, and we're, they were, we were gonna burn them. And so I showed up the next week, and there we were, and they were burning CDs and stuff. And the youth guy was like, do you hear that noise? That's what he was doing. Those are the demons leaving. Okay, that's one way to look at it. By the way, that's also where I got my very first copy of Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> because the guy's like, what you got there, bro? And he pulled it out. I was like, it's got a cross on it. I think Sweet Child of Mine is about Jesus. I think that's a Christmas <laughs> song. So I just pocketed that and took it home. <clears throat> When I lived in Myrtle Beach, um, what, what youth guys would do in Myrtle Beach, if you couldn't do like a real mission trip, you'd get your kids in the church van, drive to Myrtle Beach and you'd just unleash them on all the tourists with tracks. You know what a track is? A track is like, you know, four holy hops to heaven. You give them like a little cartoon thing and you read it and it's got the gospel. Everything in those things are true. It's just kind of a weird transaction, right? There was one, the worst one ever. When I waited tables in Myrtle Beach, we would get this one sometimes uh, and I would get a lot of them because apparently I look like I need Jesus a lot. And it looks like a folded up $20 bill and you think it's your tip and you're like, sweet. And then you open it up. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Do you want to go to heaven? No, nah, kind of want you to go to the other place. That's kind of what <laughs> that stirred up in me. And so what would happen is Youth group kids would walk up to total strangers on the beach and at just intro with this question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Which is a weird question to ask the person you've never met before. Like, what are you doing to me, right? So we are on the beach one time, and I see the youth group coming, and they're, they've got me and my dad targeted. And they come up to my dad, and they say, Sir, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Here's what he said. Well, we's going to eat seafood tonight. That's what he said. Ha, <laughs> ha. I was like, good luck, Scooter. Been trying my whole life. All right, go get it. <clears throat> Bad church experiences. Do you think that's what Jesus had in mind? Do you think when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, do you think he meant dress codes and buildings and voting blocks and special uniforms for the religious people? Like if you're really religious, you get a really big hat. Do you think that's what he had in mind? Or cheesy Christian T-shirts or judgmentalism? Do you? Do you? What do you think he had in mind? I don't think it's that at all, at all. And let me just, let me just go ahead and confess to you something. Let me pre-apologize on, the, on behalf of the Church of 1122. You hang out here long enough, you'll, we, we will let you down. I will let you down. Do you know why? Because the cross kind of outed me, that we all are sinners in need of a Savior, I don't know if you noticed, but look up, you're sitting amongst a whole bunch of sinners that make up the church of 1122. You see, the church is not a place you go. It is a faith family that you belong to. And I, look, I'm the lead pastor of this thing. I promise I'm gonna screw some stuff up. And so it's why this thing better be built on the gospel. So the moment I let you down, you realize that your connection to this church is not about me and how good I am, but about Jesus and how good he is. And so... I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, which is my favorite passage in the whole Bible. My favorite passage, but I have a lot of favorites. I got this one, and Ephesians 2, and Colossians 1, and Romans 3, and Romans 8, and Philippians 2. But they are all my favorite, okay? But this is one of my favorite passages, and a part of it is because it is the the declaration of what the church is to be. And this fall, I am speaking, I think, at five different like pastors' conferences. And at all five, I'm talking about this text. And the, the reason I get invited to these things is because of you. You keep bringing so many people, and everybody's like, How do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. Just yell at them for an hour, you wretched, black hearted sinners. And then they just multiply. I don't know. <laughs> but I do know this <clears throat> if we're running churches and we're not doing what Jesus said we're supposed to be doing, then we should stop doing that. So what we're going to find out here is what does it mean? What do we mean when we say that the church of 1122 is a movement? It comes from right here. Now, to understand verse 13, that's where we'll pick it up. But you really need to know verses 1 through 12. So sometime later, I need you to read those so you can understand. Jesus has a conversation with two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they were about self-righteousness. They thought that if you were righteous enough, if you could obey all the rules, they were very religious, then God would be pleased to you. They were about self-righteousness. Now, the Sadducees, they were a completely different group of people. You see, the Sadducees were about self-indulgence because they didn't believe in an eternal life or they didn't believe in a resurrection. So they thought that they would spend all their money on themselves. They were about self-indulgence. You see, they, they didn't believe in a resurrection, so they were sad, you see. That's how you remember And I know it's cheesy, but you're going to be awesome in your Bible study one day, right? You'll be like, well, the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. they would be like, oh, you're so holy. And so they would spend all their stuff on themselves. So what you get here are the two primary enemies of the gospel, self-righteousness and self-indulgence. But to be a disciple is about self-denial, about surrendering your life to the Lordship of Christ. And so as Jesus is walking away from those two groups of people, he says in verse 6, He says to the disciples, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And for the next five verses or so, the disciples get all spun out of control on the fact that they didn't bring bread with them. So Jesus is giving a sermon illustration and they completely missed the point of the whole sermon. Makes me feel much better about being a preacher. It also makes me feel much better about being a leader in the church because in verse 11, he says, how is it that you fail to understand that I didn't speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know what this means? (coughs) That God uses ordinary, uneducated men and women not that, not that get it first, not that even understand the most about the Bible, but men and women that are willing to follow after Jesus. So if you show up here or you show up to your disciple group or you read the Bible and there are times you're like, I don't know what he is talking about. Good news, you have the potential to make a great disciple. I mean, you want to talk about a miracle? Here's a miracle. Jesus is going to launch the idea of church with 12 teenage guys. There's probably 11 of them were teenagers and one was in his 20s. And he's talking to 12 guys of no reputation on a mountain in Caesarea Philippi, a place you never even heard of before, 2,000 years ago. And you fast forward 2,000 years, and now about 2 billion people will gather together today and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, he uses ordinary, uneducated men and women like us who have been with him to change the whole world especially churches like ours. I don't know if you picked up on this, but our church is like the Island of Misfit Toys. Just look around, all right? It's just true. And so here's what he says. With that kind of group, a group of guys that doesn't even fully understand what he's talking about, he says this in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, that matters a lot. And I know I mentioned it in the video, but here's the deal. Caesarea Philippi is like Sin City, so the place that he's gonna announce the church is not in the holy city of Jerusalem, but he announces it in Sin City. You see, people would go there. There was this, there was this temple to this like God named Pan. He was half goat, half man. He looked like Tomnus from Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. And, and they would sacrifice, they, they did child sacrifice there, and there were temple prostitutes there, and people that would go to Caesarea Philippi, I mean, they would just go crazy. And that's the place that Jesus decides to take his disciples to say, hey, we're gonna start this movement, we're gonna start this ecclesia where we're gonna seek and save the lost. That's what we're gonna do. And it starts right here on the edge of the gates of hell. He did not go to the holy city of Jerusalem and be like, y'all gather around, gather around. All right, what we're gonna do is we're only gonna pick the best of the best and we're gonna build a wall around us here. And we're gonna have our own radio stations and our own TV stations. We're gonna have our own clothing line. We're gonna have our own cheesy T-shirts. All right, we're gonna have our own schools. And then shh, we're gonna keep the dirty world out there, but we're just Christians right in here. He actually did the exact opposite of that. He goes to the craziest place, like, like parents, places you would not let your teenagers go to. Jesus goes, yep, that's a great place for a church. In fact, the church is going to get started right there. And he takes them to Caesarea Philippi and he asks the disciples, so who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or, you know, maybe one of the prophets, which honestly, <clears throat> that, that would be the most popular answer today. Yeah, Jesus, he's from God and he's a good moral teacher and you know, I know he's kind of, he's like a religious figure. And so Jesus is not running a political or PR campaign so he's not as concerned about like what the folks say. He's gonna shift gears here in verse 15 and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You ever ask yourself that question? Let me ask you, who do you say that Jesus is? The answer to that question is the most important thing about you, that's it. It's the most important question you will ever answer in your entire eternity. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because the answer to that question determines your identity and your destiny. It's important. And not only that you answer it, but how you answer it, because how you answer it determines how you will serve Jesus or reject Jesus. You see, some people that consider themselves Christians, they think that Jesus is just a good moral teacher that he's got some good advice. And at times you wanna listen to his advice because maybe it'll make your life better or your marriage better or your finances better or help you be a better parent. And so if you don't like his advice in a particular area, you just ignore it. So Jesus is not a counselor. Some Some people think Jesus is a feeling. You're kind of into boyfriend Jesus. You wanna show up to church every two or three weeks or so and kind of sing slow songs and have a slow dance with Jesus so you get this warm, fuzzy feeling and you're in search of a feeling instead of the the person of Jesus Christ. But if he is who he says he is and he is Lord and Savior and King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then you don't just sometimes take his advice and you're not just pursuit of this feeling, but you lay down your life and surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so say, God, you are Lord and Savior. Have you ever asked yourself that question? You see, before Jesus is going to talk specifically about the church, what the church is, he makes it deeply personal. Deeply personal. This is an individual question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And the answer to that is the most important thing about who you are. And then Peter, you know Peter's going to go first, right? If you know anything about the disciples in the Bible, Peter always goes first. And if you talk enough, eventually you're going to say something right. And so Peter nails this one. Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, "You are the Christ, the Son of the living God." This is a big deal. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. If you're new to Bible study, you need to know this, that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like when he was making reservations, a table for 12, Mr. Christ. That is not how it works, okay? Christ is a title, all right? It's not his last name. H is not his middle name. You should probably cut that whole situation out of your vernacular, all right? (laughs) Christ is a title, and what it means is savior. Some other words for Christ are like Messiah or anointed one. And the entire Old Testament, what the entire Old Testament was about, it was pointing to this title, this person that would come to fulfill this title, this Christ. If you go all the way back to the very beginning, even before there was a beginning, in eternity past, there was one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, And God was in a perfect love relationship with himself. He was both the subject and the object of his own love for himself. And God's love for God's self spills out over into creation and he says, let us make mankind in our image. And he creates Adam and Eve, Eve, not because he was lonely, but because he is love. And they're in this perfect relationship with one God in three persons. God is not in need. He is not lonely. He does not need you. But out of an overflow of God's love for God's self, he creates us and then sin enters into the world and it separates God from his people. And And God, because he's rich in mercy... Instead of just squishing them there and starting over, he, he kicks them out of the garden and he, and he curses Adam and Eve and all of creation. And in that curse, he says, Eve, I will put enmity between this serpent, the devil, the enemy. I will put enmity between this snake and your offspring. But a day will come when one of your offspring shows up and this enemy will crush his heel or will, will strike at his heel. But this offspring of yours will crush his head. And from that moment on, that's Genesis chapter three, and so for the rest of the entire Old Testament, all of the people that love God are looking for this serpent crusher. So sometimes when I see like a snake in the woods and I blow its head off, it's because I wanna declare the gospel to all of creation. And I usually hang him up for every one of his little devil friends to see come near me because I follow the serpent crusher. Amen? Amen. And so what... Then, with the whole Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the temple, the tabernacle, the whole deal about killing a, 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 a lamb and sprinkling its blood over the Ark of the Covenant to cover over the sins of the Jewish people for one year, Jesus comes to fulfill that because he is the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of everybody for all time, not another Lamb of God that's going to shed his blood to cover over the sins of the Jewish people for one year. He is the Christ. It's like heavyweight champion of the world, it is a title. And when Peter says that, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, the gospel is about the individual person and the, and the establishment of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God begins in the heart of the individual. That God saves us and calls us into this ecclesia, this faith family, and then we join together to be about what Jesus Christ was about in establishing his kingdom. And so, when Peter says this, Man, Jesus is stoked, super proud of his boy. He says this in verse 17. And Jesus answered Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That was his name. Bar just means son of. So his name is Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is important. He establishes that, and then he makes th- this declaration. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, there's four things here. First, first and foremost is this, is that this starts with God. He's like, Peter, this is not your idea. You didn't make this up, you didn't search this out, you didn't study enough, and then one day you were smart enough to figure it out. This idea did not come by flesh and blood, but my Father above has given you this idea. Here's what this means, that he is before all things, that God is in hot pursuit of you. And what we pray every single time I get up here and preach is that, is that God would reveal to you that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, this is good news. You know what this means? That you don't have to be good enough, that you don't have to be smart enough, that you don't have to figure out all of your questions. You can have a whole lot of doubts and follow after Jesus and be a really great disciple. And if he's coming after you, I've got good news and bad news. Good news is you're done. Bad news is you're done. It's over, you're done. You're done. Pastor Britt bumped into a guy in the parking lot. On Tuesday, he was standing in the parking lot, looking at the cross, arguing with himself as to why he was not coming to church here this weekend. It's over for that cat, all right? The Lord is just drawing him unto himself. And if you were here today and would say, you know what, I don't even believe this stuff. The fact that you were here for like a third time, even though you don't believe any of it, is is empirical evidence that God's drawing you to himself. Because listen, when I became a Christian, when I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, That night, I got no new information. I'd heard it before. I'd heard that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I got no new information. What I got was a divine revelation. For the first time, somewhere here, it just made sense. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for me. And so, Jesus says, hey listen, You didn't make this up, Peter. This came from my father in heaven. And then he makes this declaration. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changes his name from Simon Barjona to Peter. The Greek word for Peter, rock. He names him Rocky. You are Rocky. This is gonna be good. And then he says, on this rock, little play on words there, he says, I will build my ecclesia in the gates of hell. Will not prevail against it. Okay, number one. Jesus will build his church. Jesus said, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. See, our job is not to build the church. Our job is to make disciples. Jesus will build his church. So let me tell you what this means. When we meet out in public, do not come to me and say, I go to your church, because I don't have a church. This is Jesus' church. At best, what you can say is this. We go to church together. Right? Right? Because if I'm here and you're here, it's just we're here, all right? We're in this thing together. And I don't build the church, Jesus builds the church. If you look at the org chart of the staff of the Church of 1122, I'm called the lead pastor. That's my job for this season. Guess what? I will not always be the lead pastor. One day, I'll be dead. And then God will pick another lead pastor. Praise God for that, brother, okay? And, but <clears throat> you know who? Right above me on the org chart is the senior pastor. The senior pastor of the church of 1122 is Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because a pretty good translation of the term senior pastor is chief shepherd. And Jesus has already claimed that title. And so over the next hundred years, you know, there'll be all kind of lead pastors through here. There will always only be one senior pastor and his name is Jesus. That's why also this church will not be built on my personality. God help us all but it's built on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said he would build his church. Our job as as church folks here is just to make disciples. The second thing, Jesus says this. He says, all right, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What does that mean, on this rock? It has confused church people for 2,000 years. We're gonna clear it all up here in about the next four minutes, you ready? What does he mean? Does he mean Peter himself is the rock? If you grew up Catholic, that's what you were taught, that the church is built on the infallible Pope. You think that's what it is? Or is it all the disciples and apostles? Is that what it is? Or is it Jesus? You know, a lot of times, anytime you get a Bible question, you would be like, I know you just said Peter was the rock, but not Jesus, I'm going with you. It's always a good answer. Or is it what Peter was saying? Here's how we can know it's not Peter himself, okay? Because by the time you get down to verse 23, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan, and he's talking to Peter. That is not good. It is not a good thing to build your church on either. And within the same paragraph, Peter goes from being the Pope to the devil in one paragraph. So we know that he is not infallible. What Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about what Peter was proclaiming, that the rock that the church is built on is when the people of God proclaim the good news of God. Or in other words, Jesus says, I will build my church on the public declaration that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the son of the living God, that the church is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So he says, Jesus will build his church. It's built on the gospel. Verse, the third thing is this, that the gates of hell, he mentions the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And listen, again, just for review, there he is standing on one of those rocks. And I kind of imagine he's standing up high, looking down on this, <clears throat> looking down on that big cave and that cave that was in that, that big rock wall in Caesarea Philippi, there was a natural spring in there. And that spring water would hit that river that you saw in the video. And at certain times of the year, it would create a bunch of steam. And they thought that that was the first century people thought that portal was literally a portal into and out of the gates of hell. That's where the demons came in and out of. And it's where they built that, that, that temple to worship that God pan. And there'd be child sacrifice. I mean, the most awful things that you could think of. And just imagine this. Here's Jesus standing with his boys. Who do people say that I am? Okay, okay. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Peter, this was not your idea. This was not your idea. This is from the, my Father in heaven. And I'm changing your name, and upon this rock, upon the public declaration that Jesus is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promise the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Upon that rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. And I think he pointed. And they all went, and they saw it, and they were like, ah! Oh. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. You see, the fourth thing is this, is that the church built on the gospel is the prevailing church. It's the prevailing church. Think about it. No scandal or power will ever be able to stop the church. Not the Roman persecution. Just think about it for a second. How do you explain this? Rome, the most powerful organization in human history couldn't stop. 12 nobodies with one message, they couldn't stop it. Not Roman persecution, not communism, not atheism, not modernity, not relativism, not power, not corruption, not post-modern mind thought. You know what happened when China said the gospel is illegal and they drove, they thought they drove a nail in the gospel, they just drove that nail deeper underground and it began to spread like, like the gospel has never spread in china before you can't stop it why because it's the good news of jesus christ for i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power unto salvation now the only thing that will stop the church is when the church takes its eyes off of the gospel you see the bible says that the church will prevail our church we'll see we'll see There's two things that happen Especially, It happens all the time right now. When the church takes its eyes off of the gospel, it will not prevail. One way that churches do that sometimes is through heresy. It's through heresy. And basically what that means is that's when people teach the Bible with a highlighter and a pair of scissors. And they teach the part they like, man, love your neighbor. Who doesn't love that? Depending on your neighbors. But the problem is, is when you get some scissors out and you be like, ooh, this part about money? (sighs) I don't know about that. Sex and sexuality? Come on. There was a very prominent preacher a few years ago. I mean, just a dynamic communicator. And he just decided he didn't like the part of the Bible about hell. So we just cut that part out. And God just kind of cut him out. Not prevailing anymore. You see, that's why here at the Church of 1122, we preach out of this book every week. This is what we do. If you ever go to another church and they don't preach out of this, gather your things and get your kids. Don't go back there anymore. And so I preach one message over and over and over and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people have tried to be critical of me and I receive it as a compliment. That's a way to jack somebody up when they try to give you like a backhanded compliment. Just really lean into the compliment part of it. They don't know what to do with it. They're like, pastor, you're really a really great preacher, but you only have one message. And I go, thank you so much. Wow, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Cause it's just true. I got one message. I do a little different intro. We read some Bible. It's the gospel, 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 gospel. Let's close in prayer. That's what it's gonna be for the rest of your days because it's the gospel on which the church is built let me tell you what we're not going to do we're not going to show up here and me give you like here's four ways to be a better friend and three ways to be a better husband and two steps for uh, be a better version of you do you know why one i'm not smart enough to come up with that stuff i'm just not but what I'd rather do is instruct us in how to see our entire life through gospel lenses. And if you, you don't need four steps of communication in your marriage, you need to learn how to love your wife like Christ loved the church. So that's called the gospel. You don't need just a better way to budget. You need to understand how to do finances the way the gospel demands us to do finances. You, you need to parent your kids with the gospel and then that will begin to change everything. Because you try to do it the other way You'll just be exhausted. And you'll turn away from God thinking it doesn't work. And he didn't say four tips to a better version of you is the power. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power unto salvation. So one of the ways the church gets away from it is heresy. The other one is this, just busyness. The church gets so busy doing programs it forgets its purpose. So let me say this with as much love and mercy as I can muster, which is not a lot. A lot of love, not much mercy. We are not here to start your pet programs. We're just not. And I know everybody here has got a great idea of something the church should do, okay? God bless you, I ordain you, send you out, go do your ministry. What we are gonna be about is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And so when you come and say, so what do you have for singles? The gospel. What do you have for kids? The gospel. What do you have for teenagers? The gospel. What do you have for college kids? The gospel. That's what we have. And every few weeks or so, from a very awesome single person, we will get a prayer request that is really just a comment card. Dear Jesus, please help the church start a singles ministry so that we can meet other singles. Okay? harmony already exists. Go for it. You do not want me to be your matchmaker, all right? I'll be like, you, you, Africa, now, go. That's what it'll be. We are about one thing, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about programs at this church. Right now, I love them. We're not even four years old. You know why I love them? I made most of them up. So i will be like, that program is amazing. Wasn't it your idea? Uh Uh-huh. But the moment, the moment, it is not about being a movement for all people to deepen and discover a relationship with Jesus, and it's just a program, that we need to kill it and cut it, because that is not what the church is built on. It is built on the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So that's what Jesus says. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on to say in verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is so important. This is not about binding demons in your toaster oven. I hear people take this verse about, Dear Jesus, I bind the demons in my toaster oven. That's not what that means. Okay? Just get a new toaster. Here's what it means. The things God calls us to do on a daily and weekly basis in the church, they have an eternal significance. Eternal, you know what, you know what, as a church by the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of the word of God, by the blood of Jesus and the love of a heavenly father, that there are people where the wrath of God has been bound up for an eternity and they have been set free to to be life everlasting with him because over 3,000 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ by this local ecclesia. That's what he's talking about. What we do on a weekly basis matters. It matters a bunch. And you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus was looking for somebody that would say, that would identify him for who he is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the moment Peter does that, he goes, here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Why don't you take it for a spin? You see, the church of 1122 is not about building a big old church of 1122. Yes, our church is growing and and it's getting bigger and it will continue to do that, but it's not for the sake of 1122. I could give two cents about the brand 1122. The brand is Jesus. And so here's what we are about. You pay attention over the coming months and years as you hear about church planning residencies and internships and about how we partner with people all around the world. What we are trying to do is identify men and women who stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and then we hand them the keys and say okay, why don't you go start one in that place or that place? And you know why we do this? Because way before I was ready, or I thought I was ready, and it definitely was not my idea, Pastor Jerry Sweat at Beach Church, instead of building his own kingdom, he was more interested in building the kingdom of God. And he saw God's hand moving through this thing that is 1122. And he said, man, that's got the gospel written all over it. And he handed me the keys and he said, here you go, Scooter. Why don't you take her for a run? That's how this thing got going. And so that's what our church will be all about. And the reason why is because it seems like that's what Jesus was all about. It's built on the gospel and, it's, and it's, it's all about multiplying more churches. Verse 20, and then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He's gotta do the whole Easter thing and then post Easter, he's like, go get him." And then verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Do you know what that is? That's the gospel. From that time on, Jesus had One message like me, one message. It's about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's also what this means, sometimes as a church, you can get too focused on the, on the results of the gospel and elevate them above the gospel. In other words, our church will not be built on sponsoring Compassion Kids. Our church will not be built on um, justice in our city. Our church will not be built on unity. Those three things are results of the gospel. And you've gotta be very, very careful that sometimes people elevate those results of the gospel and make them the gospel, and that is idolatry. When Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you do, man, I mean, you pour yourself out for the sake of those that are oppressed in need. And when Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you work like crazy to bring justice into an unjust world. And you work like crazy for the sake of unity. That's not the point. It's a result of the point. Jesus came to establish his kingdom and it started in the hearts of individual people joined together in this thing called an ecclesia. So from that point on, Jesus just talked gospel, gospel, gospel. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. I mean, check this out. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So you get this? The previous paragraph, he's the Pope. And here's what he's gonna do. He says, Jesus Christ, get over here. That's what he says. (laughs) Get over. I get to talk to you about something. After Jesus is laying out the gospel, and he's like, look, never shall this be. And you know what Jesus says to that? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. The moment we take our eyes off of the gospel, we're playing for a team that's not Jesus' anymore. Do you see how important this is? The moment we take our eyes off the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and set it on any other thing, regardless of our intention, Jesus is saying, you are a hindrance. You are not helping me accomplish my mission, but you are a hindrance to me. You see, this is why the church of 1122 is a movement The reason I picked movement is because it's the closest thing I could think of to ecclesia. A called out people on purpose proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, back to that rock on Caesarea Philippi. I'm praying and praying and listening and listening. And listen, I'm not the kind of guy that that says, like, I heard the voice of God. I'm the kind of guy that says, you want to hear the voice of God? No problem. Open your Bible, read out loud, all right? You'll hear him all day long. (laughs) But here's what was confirmed in me. This church is planted on one thing. Not the entertainment value of the weekend. Not how good uh, the musicians are. Not the buildings that are going up around our town. It's, it's not, not on how nice our serve staff is. Not on how well I can engage you on the weekend. But our church is built on one thing. And our church is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And upon that rock, Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Here's something else that just came to my mind as I was sitting there in Caesarea Philippi. What we're doing is not new. It's just our turn. What we are doing is not new, it's just our turn. And did you know, one day, all of us will be gone. Again, the death rate in America, right around 100%, okay? 100 years, none of us are here, none of us. And then hopefully, there will be men and women that can stand on our shoulders who are faithful to the gospel that they can make disciples in their generation. And the other thing that just blew me away is that there is a direct link from what Jesus said on that rock that day to what we are doing in these worship services right now. Right now. You see, in 30 AD, in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus says to 12 young men, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Three years later in Jerusalem, Jesus tells about 120 men and women, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In 42 AD, Mark goes to Egypt. In 49, the apostle Paul goes to Turkey. In 51, Paul goes to Greece. In 52, Thomas goes to India. That's Doubting Thomas, still the worst nickname of the whole Bible. Not Missionary Thomas, but Doubting Thomas. In 54, Paul goes on his third and final missionary trip. In 61, Paul goes to Rome and proclaims the kingdom of God and teaches Jesus as Lord for two years. Let me tell you why that's important to us as a church. Because Paul was using the cutting edge technology of his day to get the gospel everywhere he could get it. He was using, at that time, the World Wide Web. Not internet, but a road system developed by Rome. You could get throughout the entire Roman Empire by using these roads. And there was this thing called the Pax Romana, which for the very first time, you could travel over country lines without being killed because you had, you had peace in Rome, that's what it stands for. And he was writing letters, and he was using cutting edge delivery technology to get it to these other churches. It was called the postal system. It was a brand new idea. That's why the back half of your New Testament has a bunch of church names in it because the apostle Paul was planting churches everywhere he went. That's why we plant churches everywhere we go. And so in 61, Paul goes to Rome. In 174 AD, the first Christians are reported in Austria. By 280 AD, the first rural churches emerge in northern Italy. By 350 AD, there's 31.7 million Romans, or 57% of the Roman Empire, claim Christ as Lord. In 432, Patrick goes to Ireland. We celebrate this every year at St. Patrick's Day. Probably not the way Patrick would like, but we do. In 596, Gregory the Great sends Augustine to England to reintroduce the gospel in a place called Canterbury. And they baptized 10,000 people in the first two years. In 635 AD, the first Christian mi- missionaries go to China. In 740 AD, Irish monks land in Iceland. In 900, missionaries reach Norway. By 1200, the Bible is available in 22 languages. In 1490, the first Christians are reported in Kenya. A lot of historians believe that when Peter led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ, that he went to Africa and planted a church. In 1501, Pope Alexander VI grants to Spain all newly discovered lands in the Americas under the provision that religious education be provided for the natives. In 1554, 1,500 new Christians are reported in Thailand. In 1671, missionaries arrive in the Carolinas. In 1735, Charles and John Wesley come to America on a missionary journey. In 1784, Wesley ordains ministers and he sends them to the Americas. In 1828, the Methodist Protestant Church was formed, which makes up the Methodist denomination. In 1937, Rising Tide Methodist gathers above a bakery in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and they begin to pray for revival in this city. In 1939, Rising Tide builds a chapel at Beach and Seventh, and it becomes what we know today as Beach Church. In 1962, the first Walmart opens in Rogers, Arkansas. Little did Sam know he was a church planting fiend. In 2001, sneakers, sports bar, and grill begins. Who knew? In 2008, September 1122, the service begins. On June 2011, a team finds a vacant Walmart, and they begin to work in response to Beach Church announcing the launch of the Church of 1122. On September 23rd, 2012, was the launch of the Church of 1122. And in January 10, 2016, 1122 launches its Bay Meadow campus because we believe geography should not be a limit to all people discovering and deepening a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the movement continues. On January 8th, 2017, the church of 1122 will launch its Mandarin location. And here's a picture of what it's going to look like. Praise God. Amen. Here's what I need from you. I need from a bunch of you, about 600 of you. When we launch that in January, I need you to move. Because movements move. And the moment a movement stops moving, it becomes a museum or a mausoleum and it's gonna die. And that is not what this is. This is not a monument to what God has done. This is a movement of what God is doing. And we are partnering with Access Church, who currently meets in this space, because God is moving them to St. John's County. We're partnering together for the sake of the gospel. And in 2000, the next year, whatever, 2018, we are preparing right now to to plant a new location or a new campus. And we'll finally, hopefully, if if, if all things work out and it's God's will, then we're going to be able to finally go north. And I need you praying like crazy. Because God is using 1122 to bring the gospel into your neighborhoods. And here's my favorite part. This is not about 1122. This is not about what God is just doing here in Jacksonville, but God is using this movement to be a movement for all people, not just people who live here, but literally people that live all over the world. And God has been using you over the last six months to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Take just a minute and see what God has been using you for. Check this out.
1: Before All Things Initiative, we committed to plant 100 churches, gospel-centered churches all over the world. I'm Pastor Ryan Britt, and I want to show you how we've been doing that. When planting churches, we want to identify where God is moving, and we want to join Him in that work. Through our partnerships in East Africa and Brazil, it became very obvious that God was at work, and we wanted to join Him in that. Through our Before All Things contributions, we're able to provide the two-year training, for the pastor. We're also able to provide the frame and the roof for the church building, and the locals provide the labor, the land, and they finish the construction on their church building so that they can have a place, a building to gather week in and week out so that they can be a gospel hub in their community. In partnership with 1122 and our ministry partners, this local pastor begins to preach and to teach in a community and we come alongside him with resources with mission teams to support the efforts so that we can plant a healthy gospel-centered church in a community in east africa our partners are working in kenya uganda tanzania the democratic republic of the congo and southern sudan 1122 has partnered with church missions network and okoa refuge and since the beginning of before all things 42 churches have been planted, 26 buildings have been built, and 492 pastors are currently in training. In Brazil, the model's a little different. Instead of planting in rural villages, we're planting medium and large-sized churches in city centers, urban contexts where there's a lot of darkness, and there's a desperate need for gospel light. In Brazil, 1122 has partnered with Restore Brazil and Compassion International. Our ministry partners are working specifically in the cities of Cadeau, Fortaleza, and Rio de Janeiro. Since the beginning of Before All Things, we've partnered to plant two thriving churches, build two church buildings, and currently have 10 pastors in church planting residency. It really is amazing what God has allowed for us to partner with him in all over the world. Seeing his movements and being a part of his life change is simply unbelievable. 1122 truly is a movement for all people, for people in East Africa, for people in Brazil, for people all over the world, and for people in Jacksonville to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus.
0: Amen. Hey, church, that's one of the most exciting things I've seen in a long time. And let's be honest, you had no idea, right? So when people ask you on Monday, what'd you do this weekend? Planting 44 churches around the world. How about you? That is a big deal. And what is bound here on earth will be bound for eternity. And what is loosed here on earth will be loosed in eternity. You know what that might mean for you? You ever think about what heaven might be like? Can you imagine strolling through heaven on the streets of gold, worshiping Jesus, and you bump into some Brazilian girl? Some some guy from Africa? She's kind of catching up a little bit. So where are you from? They ask you, what church are you part of? Oh, 1122. And they go, oh. because because you allow God to use you, he planted the church that I met Jesus at in Brazil or in Africa. And that's how I'm here today. You See, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the kingdom of God begins by answering this individual question. To be a part of that kind of kingdom movement, it starts here. So who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever answered honestly? And maybe today, maybe today, kind of like what happened to Peter for the very first time. You don't necessarily have new information, but you feel like you have a divine revelation. That for the very first time, you understand that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And if he is who he says he is, he's not just somebody to take advice from or sing songs to, but he is the Lord of all creation and you are ready to make him Lord of your life. You see, the kingdom of God begins in the hearts of men and women who are ready to proclaim you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Would you please close your eyes and bow your head? And I want you to ask yourself that question. Who do I say that he is? And if there's anyone here... (coughs) or in the sanctuary, or in Bay Meadows, if there's anybody that says, for the very first time, I realize that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Then you just admit it. God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That you believe that when Christ died on the cross, that counted for you. And in this moment, you wanna confess him as Lord like Peter did 2,000 years ago. If that's you, you just tell him. And if that's you, would you just let it be known by raising your hand high and saying, God, here I am. I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God, I believe and I want to be a part of this this kingdom of God that you came to initiate. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the ecclesia, the church. All different sizes and all different shapes. And God, I praise you that you use all kind of different churches to reach all kind of different people. God, we praise you for what you were doing in this local edition of the Ecclesia. God, that you would see fit to use ordinary, uneducated men and women like us who had been with Jesus to make a difference around the world. Not to us, but to your name and your name alone be the glory. And God, I thank you that even today you would call men and women unto yourself, that you would adopt some more children into your family this day. God, I pray. That you would help us stay laser-focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would not be a hindrance, but we would be a part of that kingdom movement that you talked about in Matthew chapter 16. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond? We respond in three ways. One, as we sing together. I need you to think about this like a corporate prayer. Like we are all praying the same thing together with music to it. And we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. And if you bring in, if you bring a dollar here, what it is, is it goes into what we are doing in before all things. And the reason we call it before all things is because he is first, he loved first, he went first. And then we respond to the gospel by bringing our first and our best, our tithes and our offerings. And then the altars are always open for prayer. They're always open for prayer. And I know you got some stuff that you need to pray for. And I need you to pray for us this week. So especially right now as we close this service down, I need you to pray for me and the other elders and the staff that we would always
1: be the kind of prevailing church that Jesus was talking about. Let us respond.